Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today was day 41 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings and I'll talk about all of that in uh, just a minute. Uh, first, I guess as you see, I'm in sort of an ad hoc uh, studio space uh, for today in the process of moving. So next time you see me, uh, I, well, probably actually next week, the next uh, Day of proceedings is on Thursday, and I, I'll be in a similar space, although not exactly this one uh, at that time. But uh, I'll get back to uh, our regular studio uh, when proceedings continue next week. But uh, today was a lot quieter of a day, uh, sort of news-wise, than we saw last week. Last week there was, uh, you know, we had witnesses, uh, and then there was, of course, the big news with... The Prime Minister, the Minister of Public Safety, and the Commissioner of the RCMP, Brenda Lucky, all involved in some uh, controversy over alleged pressuring, uh, pressure coming down from the Prime Minister's office through the Minister of Public Safety, the Commissioner of the RCMP, to the supervisors of the RCMP in Nova Scotia, the leadership team, to release the makes and models of the firearms used by uh, the killer during the shooting spree. Now, uh, for a longer discussion of that, uh, you can look at my piece from uh, last Thursday with the improved audio uh, over the weekend. And uh, also, uh, also point you to a longer discussion that I had last uh, Sunday night with Jordan Bonaparte on his nighttime podcast. You can see the links to that in uh, my, uh, on my Facebook page and uh, Twitter feed as well if you want to catch up on that. He does a podcast form as well, so you can download and listen to that as, uh, as you're on the go, going out for a run, if you're doing errands around the house, or, or whatever your preferred method of listening. So there was a little bit of reverberation today, just at the end of the day. I saw there was an article came out from the Halifax Examiner that was uh, making some reference to and uh, published a little, a few excerpts from a letter from Leah Scanlon, the, who was the Director of Strategic Com Communications for the RCMP in Nova Scotia at the time of the mass shooting, to Commissioner uh, Brenda Lucky, uh, being critical of her interference as Leah Scanlon saw it. And so perhaps as a result of that, or maybe this was pre-planned, the Commission at the end of the day today uh, is uh, making exhibits of a number of documents, six documents, there was an April 28, 2020 email from Assistant Commissioner Lee Bergerman, who was the head RCMP officer in Nova Scotia, uh, to the members of H-Strong, Operation H-Strong. And then, uh, so there was an email. And the second thing is the letter that was attached to that, which contains the message. Third thing is notes of uh, Deputy Superintendent Chris Leather. And... The fourth is the notes, uh, handwritten notes of Assistant Commissioner Lee Bergerman. Fifth is a, the email uh, from Leah Scanlon to Commissioner Lucky regarding the H. Strong meeting that we've heard about where uh, Darren Campbell's notes uh, were suddenly discovered uh, last week that would seem to be critical of the Commissioner. And then the letter attached to that. I've read the excerpts in the Halifax Examiner uh, article uh, nothing particularly new there, just uh, Leah Scanlon trying to control the, the messaging and uh, feeling some frustration. I think that uh, Commissioner Lucky was releasing information on her own, which one might argue is the head of the RCMP. She has uh, a certain entitlement to do. So we'll see uh, when those documents are posted. 
uh, if there's anything more scandalous or explosive to them than what we've read already uh, in them. So um, I'll keep an eye on that for you. So the actual uh, proceedings today uh, were dealt with a, a roundtable discussion, uh, somehow again distinct from a panel discussion, although I think three of the seven panelists, three or four of the seven panelists were remote and a few were at tables that looked to be rectangular from my observation, but uh, in any event, a roundtable discussion on the needs of family and community following a mass casualty incident. So, uh, participants, so this, I'm going to read off some of the names that were involved. It was being led by Dr. Emma Cunliffe, who is the Mass Casualty Commission's Research and Policy Director. Uh, it included uh, Greta Adib from the University of Oslo in Norway, Levant Alton, who is the Executive Director of the Victim, of Victim Support Europe, uh, Mary Fetchett who is uh, the head of the Voices Center for Resilience, which is a 9-11 support group, group formed as a result of and in uh, support of 9-11 victims. Uh, Megan McKellarin uh, from the Wayfound Mental Health Group from Calgary. Serena Lewis, who is from, uh, resides at least in Great Village near Portapic, uh, who is the former Northern Zone Grief Coordinator and Provincial Grief Consultant. Terry Mitchell, who uh, is a now retired psychology professor from Wilfrid Laurier University. When, when uh, she was at Dalhousie University, uh, Professor Mitchell did a study on the Swiss Air disaster off Peggy's Cove and some of the after effects of that. And Jacqueline uh, Schildkraut, from who's an associate professor at the University of New York. So I don't know how long did that take me, a couple of minutes to do. The introductions, uh, the panel this morning took half an hour for everybody to introduce themselves. The discussion itself went from uh, 9.30 when things started, well, 10 o'clock when the discussion started, but the introduction is part of the discussion as well, until uh, about, um, about a little after one o'clock. So, uh, four and a half hour discussion on grief, trauma, and the after effects of an event such as this. Uh, we certainly heard lots of the language of grief and trauma uh, and some of the, the ways that professionals and academics discuss these things uh, and some lessons from it. Now, an important point though is that there was no mention of the actual events of the Nova Scotia mass casualty. Like other expert panels, I think mistakenly so, this expert panel was brought in to discuss things in a broad sense, give some sense of their experience in other instances, the Swiss Air, 9-11, the Norway shootings, other shootings in the United States. But uh, nothing that actually specifically connected those findings or their theories to what took place in Nova Scotia. You know, so questions of communications with the families afterwards were discussed, but then no comment to say, and by the way, my observation, I think this could have been done differently or better. So whatever expertise was uh, conveyed today is it's then up to us as non-experts in this particular field 
although that's that's an issue in itself. Uh, it's up to us non-experts, which would include the three commissioners who are not experts in psychology or psychiatry or grief counseling, to make those connections between what the witnesses were saying today and what uh, the facts may unveil about the events of the mass casualties. So I really think that's a flaw in the way of bringing in experts because you're bringing in these experts who could make valuable contributions to the specific situation we're confronting, but instead they're just talking in generalities. And there were some generalities. I mean, there were lots of acknowledgements of this and that and everybody's uh, grief and individual circumstances. Uh, we heard about how relationships are important, relationships within the community, relationships uh, with uh, healthcare providers, uh, all of those things, different stakeholders, it's important to have uh, good working relationships discussion about how things will never go back to the way they used to be uh, no matter what and this brought up something it was brought up in both the discussion of the Norway shootings where there was a study 10 years later and then also after 9-11 uh, a study that was referenced that was uh, 15 years onwards and the study seemed to show that the grief levels uh, you know they they spike they they come down a little bit but then they seem to plateau and remain so it reminded me, uh, so the question is, all right, well, does anything work? And there was some discussions of things that seemed to work and seemed to help, but did anything really work? And I would, I would challenge anybody that listened to the testimony today to find something that really effectively works in the sense that it removes the grief and allows people to move on. It reminded me, in fact, of a... a a study that we were told about in my criminal law class with uh, Professor Archibald and it was on sentencing and the study was entitled nothing works now works has to be defined in the sense that the criminal doesn't reoffend well you can do restorative justice and some are still going to reoffend you can throw the book at people and throw them in jail for a long time and people are still going to reoffend and it's not going to deter everybody else and so in effect nothing works as a complete solution there's still things you can do that have positive effects the same with grief you know like nothing is going to get rid of grief it's a natural part of life and if you miss somebody and you you lose a loved one well you're going to grieve them not only for a while but maybe the rest of your life uh, so uh, there was lots of advice on you know, grief counseling centers and different counseling approaches, that sort of thing, having systems in place to support victims prior to a crisis so that you're not trying to develop something on the fly, as seemed to have happened, uh, in part at least with the mass casualty here. There was discussion again about, or as well about a term called uh, somatization, which is where your physical conditions are linked to things like stress and trauma and your physical condition can actually worsen as a result of grief and trauma. I've seen that before in other, uh, in other cases. Um, not uh, groundbreaking, I guess, but uh, interesting to note and something to think about when we're dealing with people in stages of grief. Now, the one person that referenced something local was the local individual, and that was Miss Lewis, who talked about how we should really keep in mind that these communities are uh, small-c conservative in many ways. 
and that in such communities in rural areas, perhaps the tendency is to not talk about things, to adopt uh, a stance of stoicism and just sort of deal with things in a, and be tough about it and how that's not particularly helpful for many people. And she pointed out the hashtag that developed after the mass casualty of Nova Scotia Strong. And of course, we saw that everywhere. It was ubiquitous. And that was not really helpful because the hashtag had an effect of shutting people down and keeping people from expressing their grief in a more natural manner, you know, with people. Well, if you're not, you know, if you're not strong, then what's wrong with you is sort of the implication that the hashtag perpetuated. So her advice was to uh, maintain that over a longer period of time, keep the casseroles going uh, as, uh, as a great tradition in rural Nova Scotia and probably other rural areas. Now, uh, one thing uh, that I it was brought up only really towards the end of the discussion, uh, lots of these counseling discussions and, and things that uh, could be helpful, was peer-to-peer -peer support. Now, uh, Miss um, uh, Fetchett uh, from the 9-11 uh, support group mentioned this it was brought up as well but this was something that came out in the Desmond inquiry that peer-to-peer -peer support is incredibly important uh, maybe more so than the professional help uh, that counselors can provide because they counselors they haven't been there you talk to somebody who's been there if, you know in the Desmond inquiry case a fellow soldier who's been in combat can listen to you understands what you've been through is going to have you know, even without the professional credentials and being able to systematize the thinking or approach things with a, you know, a certain perspective. Well, this person's been there. They can listen to you. You know that they've, uh, they're have they going to understand what you're talking about. And so there's uh, a positive effect from that that, you know, the professionals maybe don't want to admit is that effective because, of course, it would undercut their uh, their role in these situations. So uh, an interesting little dilemma there. I mean, something that uh, that I think the community members talking to one another rather than counselors, dealing talking to people who have been through similar tragedies in other communities. Uh, my sense is that that is where much of the comfort is going to uh, originate, and perhaps less so from professionals. Uh, there's not enough of them anyway, and uh, perhaps they're overwhelmed with the volume of, uh, of inquiries. So uh, just uh, some thoughts on the panel today. And uh, there wasn't a great deal of new information or new insight, uh, certainly no connection to the events of the mass casualty. But these are things that the commission needs to study. It's part of their mandate. I think they could be doing it in a more effective way if they had these expertise actually review what took place in Porterpick throughout Nova Scotia and analyze those facts rather than just coming in and giving us their uh, giving us the highlights of their you know areas of research so uh, just uh, just thought we have another panel uh, I think maybe even two panels coming up on Thursday and then that's it for this week uh, hopefully hear soon from the Commissioner of the RCMP the Nova Scotia leadership team uh, this seems like it's being planned for the summertime when perhaps the commission thinks fewer people will be watching, but I suspect even despite good weather that people will be tuning in because uh, the story has taken on a, a national character it should have had from the very beginning. All right, so that's it for today, day 41 of the Mass Casualty Commission. 
Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time.